Open up your Bible if you have it this morning. I encourage you to bring your Bible with you. There's always some back there at the back table. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. What has become uh, just a tremendous passage of Scripture in my heart. It's so much just outstanding practical teaching from God's Word of what it means to live in a, wife, in a, in a life that is, that is filled with joy, that is filled with contentment, that, that is really the life that God designed for us and desires for us to have in Him. Now, you are supposed to think about something that you made, okay? And that's not something that a lot of us have done before. Mark already kind of hit on a little bit. We're going we're gonna to make some church property. Um, but I wanted to start today because with the story of, of making something, in a way, because it kind of... It, it's going to show us, I believe, if you follow with me, track with me, you're going to show us how, I want, to, I want us to think about how much we're impacted by the culture that we live in. You know, God has saved you. If you're in Christ today, God has saved you from a, a world that was opposed to Him and put you on a new path and made you a new creature, given you a new nature, and given you a new purpose. But the reality is, we've been talking about this over the last two months, we live here on this planet, surrounded by people, earthlings who don't know Christ, many of them. And they're, they're flowing in the opposite direction as us. We're living for Christ and the world's living for itself. We believe in the eternal and the world is all about the here and now. We understand what love truly means because we were first loved by Christ, now we can love other people. And the world is, is just totally involved in self-love. Now, one of the ways that you see this is, is the kind of jobs that we have today. In the late 80s, I was a college student, okay? My father worked at the West Baco paper plant in Luke, Maryland. Anybody ever smelled it before? Okay, a few of us, yeah, yeah. So, in the summers between college, they, between college semesters, you know, in the summer when, when you're a college student and your father works or your mother works there at the West Baco paper plant, they have this sort of opportunity for you to come there and work in the summer. And uh, one particular summer, I got to do that. And you know, you make some decent money and, and, and you work there and, and probably eight, nine weeks. And, you know, in my world, I was making a whole lot of money there working in the paper plant. But the cool thing that I got to, got to see is, is what my father had talked about all of his life. See, my father would come home from work, and we would have, like, story time, okay? McDonald's are just legendary storytellers, I guess. And, and my father would sit us down at the table. There would be seven of us around the table, and my grandmother as well. And my dad would tell us stories about work. And we'd sit there, you know, mouths hanging open, listening to this story about what, he, what happened that day at the mill. And it's kind of funny. We got to know the names of the people we worked with, you know. And I mean, I know who Walls is. I know who Murph is. I know I've never met him. I never will. And I know all about him. It's just the way that it is. But one of the things that one of the stories that he would talk about is the process of how they start with a tree and end with a piece of paper. I mean, that's pretty amazing, is it not? And so the way that it worked for me is I, I worked throughout the paper plant. There was a week that I worked in the pulp mill. And I worked where they brought in the trees and they, you know, they come in as full logs on a truck. And they, they, they you know, strip them down, strip the bark off, and, and they throw them a chip, through a chipper. And now you've got, instead of trees, you've got chips of wood. Okay, and that's thrown in a kiln, and it's burned, and all this stuff. I don't know the whole process. I, I don't remember all the details. But other weeks, I would work on the whole other side of the factory. Where at the other side of the factory, you've got large, like, huge, just blocks of paper. 
that they would cut into different sizes and then load them to a truck and, and take it away. And so there in that paper plant, and, and like many of the people that work there, you could see the product. You could see what would come in one side, a tree, and would leave on the outside, on the other side, a piece of paper. I saw today, I looked this up, in 19, since 1977 to the present, there's been a 60% drop in manufacturing jobs in the United States. 60% drop in manufacturing jobs since 77. You see, most of us anymore, we don't really make anything. Most of us, now there's a few people who have jobs that you make something, but most of us now, you know what we do? We sell stuff. Do we not? Most, most of us now, we're all in the commercial advertising business in one way or another. Most of us are trying to convince somebody to buy a product. Most of us are involved in consumer-type jobs. Many of us are. A large percentage. Today I want to talk about contentment. And the reason why it's so hard for us to be content is because we live in a culture. We live in a society We live surrounded by a world that's trying to get us to purchase. It's trying to convince us that there's something we need, that there's something we want, that there's somebody's trying to get something from us. And the way that they do it is they try to convince us that we are discontent that there's something you want, that there's something you need, that there's something out there that you just must have. Now, let me just say this about the manufacturing jobs and all that kind of stuff. Listen, if you're selling something today, that's fine. That's what the Lord called you to do. Then you do it with all your gusto. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I want us to understand the truth of our society and how opposed it is to what Christ calls us to. Why? So we can live as shining stars. So we can be like a city on a hill. So that we can be aliens and strangers here. So that we can live lives among those who don't know God in a way that draws people to Him. But that only lives, that only happens, that is, for people who live with contentment. Open your Bible if you haven't already. We're in Philippians chapter 4, and let's read our passage for today. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse number 10, and it will feel oh so unfamiliar, but along the way you're going to hear probably one of the most quoted verses in all the Bible. And maybe we'll understand what it means today. Really, when you look at chapter 4 of Philippians, verses 10 through, honestly, the end of the chapter, is one main thought that Paul is making. Paul is making a point in verses 10 through 23. And and it really, it's one unit. We're going to divide it into two pieces, today and next Sunday, and see today what Paul has to say about this thing called contentment. Let's read it, starting in verse number 10. Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
Now, let me just say here, just as a parenthesis, remember where Paul is when he's writing this. He's in prison. He's in a Roman, under Roman house arrest and writing to these believers in this town of Philippi. And they are thinking about him. And he says in verse number 11, well, continue on verse number 10, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need. Here it comes. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Wow. Paul has learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low, he says. I know how to abound. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Verse 17 is important. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I received full payment and more. I am well supplied, had received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Today I want to talk about contentment. I want to talk about contentment. And probably if asked, every single one of us would claim that we want to be content. Every single one of us would say, yes, I would like to experience contentment. We would answer that. But do we know what it means? Do we know what it means to be content? Do we know what it is? Do we know what it isn't? You know, everyone around us seems to be discontent. I mean, I just sat and just made a list of the things that that I hear people that, that they're discontent over. We're discontent over what we have, what we look like, who we're married to, with our lot in life, with our job, with our income, with our friends, with our church, with ourselves, with everything. Many of us, we deal with this all the time. There's just this spirit of discontentment among us. And I think it's important for us to see that Paul here is pointing us to a secret of contentment. Now let's talk about what it is, and let's talk about what it isn't. Okay? Let's talk about what it is, first of all. First of all, you will see as you read through the Bible that contentment is both a fruit... And a command. Now think about that. It is a fruit, meaning it is a result of our spiritual life, and it's a command. So we are called and commanded to be content. But we're also instructed in God's word that when we're in Christ, the spirit of God will work in us and we will experience contentment. So it's not only a command, it's a virtue or a fruit that we're called to. 
Now, I think I'll put a definition up there for you. This is from Holman Bible Dictionary. And, and they define it this way, because we struggle to know what this is. It's an internal satisfaction, which is the not need or demand changes in our external circumstances. Now, we are told in the Bible, listen to the things that, that we are told to be content with. We're to be content with our food and our clothing. You know that? You are, think about that. We are told to be content with our food, with our clothing. Jesus instructed people to content with their, be content with their wages. Whoa, wait a minute. My wages? Do you know what I make, low? Right? We're to be content with God's presence in our life, Hebrews 13, 5. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that he is content with his hardships, with his sufferings, with his struggles, with the persecution that has come his way. So what is the thing, you, I want you to pick a thing today that you struggle with contentment over. Is it your home? Your vehicle? Is it your cabinets at your house? Your golf clubs? Is it your body, your waistline, your hairline? What is it? Is it your marriage? Is it this man that you're stuck with? This woman that was so different when you married her? You say, Lord, why are you getting so angry? Because I've heard people talk that way. Discontentment. Is it your bank account? Is it the toys that you have to play with? I want you to pick something. Now, it's interesting what this word means, and I don't have time to talk about this too much, but this word content and contentment, it has at its root the idea of being self-satisfied. It has at its root to be, to be satisfied with just me. I don't need any of these things to satisfy me. Now I want us to understand clearly that, that contentment, it's, it's not, you will never, there's some things that are, that are not true of contentment, Okay? You will never fall into it. You will never achieve it. It's a lie that if you get enough, you'll then be content. If you have that thing, or if you have that one, if you have that toy, or that that certain thing that you must have, or that husband, or that wife, or that child, then you will be content. That's a lie. Contentment is not something that is that is finally achieved or, or finally grasped. That's not, that's not the way contentment works. You don't stumble into it. You don't find it in comparison. So here's what I mean by that. Here's not how you get contentment. You don't find somebody that's even poorer than you and look at what they have and now I feel better about myself and I'll be content. That's not the source of contentment either. These are the ways we try to get our children to be content or other people to be content. Well, you don't know about Johnny. He doesn't have that. That's not contentment. It's not it. Let's talk about discontentment. Okay? The dark cloud of discontentment. What is it? 
It's the opposite of contentment is what it is. It's contentment not. It's an internal, you're desiring internal satisfaction and your externals must change. Must change. Or you will be discontent. Let me read to you just a, just a little bit of God's word. Okay, don't, don't leave Philippians. I'll just read these to you. Just, just get the flavor of what God has to say. 1 Timothy chapter 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. If we brought nothing into the world and we, can take any, we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Now listen. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is damaging things to their own body. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. And I want you to hear this warning. I'm telling you, I personally know people that I love who because of discontentment because they just wanted a little more, have sacrificed, have sacrificed their very relationship with God. And if we could interview them five, ten years ago, and we would ever say, would you ever walk away from Christ? They would categorically say, no, I will never leave Christ. And today they want nothing to do with Him. And I've seen their life. Because our lives are intertwined. And I'm telling you, the root of their destruction is discontentment. Don't think it can't happen to us. The Lord means what He says. Because of a discontent spirit, loving Loving money and what it offers. Many have wandered from the faith and experiencing destruction. See, Philippians 4, let's go back there. What Philippians 4 is giving us is a, is a personal account of Paul. And, and in the story of his life, and, and much of the Bible is this way, in the story of Paul's life, is revealed the character of a new man in Christ. As we see the the account of his life laid out, we can see what is it down deep in Paul? What is it that the Spirit of God has done in him? And this is what the secret of contentment is. It is these things that we will see revealed between the words and between the sentences of what Paul has shared. There is where we will find what he is calling himself the secret of contentment. It's not, by the way, it's not just being satisfied with less either. Hear this. 
Contentment is not simply being just satisfied with less. That's not all that it is. It's realizing I will never hear, I will never be satisfied with less than Christ. That's what contentment is. It's not just simply through the, the, an act of my will. I will be satisfied with less. You go that route, you won't be content, you'll be prideful. It's not being, by the act of your will, being satisfied with less. It's knowing I can be satisfied with nothing less than Christ. Where does that come from? I'll show you. Verse number 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. What is the secret? Okay, the first part of the secret here, and this may be the most important part, is trusting in the sovereignty of God. It is trusting in the sovereignty of God. Paul goes on to say that, that he is now rejoicing greatly, that they've revived their concern for him, and you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Let me explain to you what's happening. Paul, as I already said, is in prison. Okay? Now, probably as much as ten years prior to this time, when Paul was writing this, the church in Philippi had done a great thing. And that is they took up an offering and they gave it to Paul. He speaks of it in the book of 2 Corinthians. And there he says that out of your poverty, you gave to the work of the Lord. So these people in Philippi were poor. They were were in poverty. And they came together and they gathered up an offering and he gave it to Paul. And they said, Paul, we have been changed by Christ. Take this message to the world we can't get to. And so Paul did just that. And off he went. And they did it again. So a second time, they they sent him some gift. And now as much as ten years goes by, and Paul hears nothing from them. Nothing. Now, I'm involved in a church ministry, okay? And I understand how offerings work, okay? Been doing this for a long time. And offering matter to pastors. They just do. Because the reality is, every single month, we have bills that we have to pay, just like you do. We don't produce a product that we sell for a profit. We survive on God's people giving to God's work. We don't raise money out there. We don't, we don't, we don't talk a lot about it, but you give, and God provides. Paul goes a great deal of time, and the church in Philippi does not provide for his needs. But then an opportunity comes. Okay? He says, but you had no opportunity. This opportunity comes forward. You can see it in verses 17 and 18. And the opportunity is, a guy named Epaphroditus is going to visit Paul. And the church on its own says, take this cash, take this money, Paul. And they take it. And Paul receives it and he's thankful. Now, what, How is this a secret of contentment? Listen, the first, I think, secret we see here is we have to trust completely in the sovereignty of God. 
You see, Paul recognized that God provided for his needs. He understood in a very tangible way that if God didn't provide for him, he had nothing. And so the Lord did it in miraculous ways. Can I just tell you that God provides for you in the same way? Joe's construction doesn't pay you. Berkeley County Schools don't pay you. Johnson & Johnson Medical Equipment doesn't pay you. God provides for you. God has given you that job. God has met your needs. He may do it through some other organization. The top of the check may say somebody else's name, but it is God that provides for you. And he does that in his sovereign plan. You have exactly what God wants you to have. God's sovereignty works in a couple different ways. Sometimes God works in a miraculous way. In a miraculous way. You know, I mean, there's just a miracle that can be explained in no other terms except for God did a miracle. Sometimes God, who's separate from creation, says, I will step in here and I will heal this person. And then he steps out. Sometimes God steps in to the life of George Mueller, a a great man of faith from 150 years ago, and God provides for him in a miraculous way. And then he steps out, and it's a miracle. But often the way that God's sovereignty works is in a word that we don't use anymore, but the old authors used to use this word all the time. They called it the providence of God. The providence of God. Here's what that means. Through natural means, through just the way that the earth works, God establishes and sets forth his plan. That's called the providence of God. It's in the providence of God that you work where you do. It's in the providence of God that you're married or not. It's in the providence of God that you're in the home that you're in or not. The question is, do you see, do you accept, do you reckon, do you consider that God is providing for you? Here's what I'm learning about contentment. Okay, now, this, can be a lot of, this is a lot of what I'm learning today. All right? So I'm learning about contentment. I find contentment when I'm not looking at you. I find contentment when I'm not checking out what you have. I find contentment when my eyes are on the Lord and what he has for me. See, I'm very content. I'm very content with, with the things that God has brought in my way. Until I'm at your house and I see that awesome counter that you have. And man, that is a nice piece. That's a beautiful countertop. Wow, I'd like to have one of those. I could chop peppers on there. That'd be so cool. You see, contentment is is closely tied to envy and boasting. Now, one of the things I want you to do today is in a body of worship notes, there's a place for you to write some things that I will do and some things that I will not do. One of the things I want to encourage you towards is to be careful when you're boasting. Be careful when you're boasting. Because you may be causing somebody else to envy and which may wreck their contentment. And we have seen what a wreck contentment does in a life. It causes some to wander from the faith and experience Destruction. We must trust the providence and the miraculous sovereignty of God in our lives. Paul did. Paul did. Let me, let me just one more time to help you, uh, help you understand this. 
One of the things that, that I, that's been a neat thing I've got to do over the years in ministry is to, to have other people come and do ministry for me. Like as a youth pastor, I might have somebody come and speak at a youth retreat. Or in an event here, I might have a friend come and, and share God's Word. And typically what happens when you have somebody do that, when you bring a retreat speaker in or, or something like that, typically what you do is you give them a gift from the church. You give them a gift for, you know, $100. Thanks for speaking for our retreat. Here's, here's 100 bucks. I hope this is a blessing to you. Well, that's just sort of a, a way that it works, okay? And so one time, I, I, one of the people that I asked to speak somewhere asked me to come back and speak. Sure, I'll speak. So I came and I spoke for their retreat, okay? Now, it's not an expectation. It's, it's not a demand. But you kind of wonder when you go speak, you're like, you know, I wonder if they're going to give me like 100 bucks. You know, I could like maybe buy something with that. That would be cool. In the retreat, shakes my hand. Thanks, Lord, you did a great job. Smacks you on the shoulder. See you some other time. And I walk away like, okay, you want me to go now? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. You sure? Anything else you want to do? No, no, hit the road, see you. So I leave. No $100 check. I do it for the Lord. It's okay. I do it for the Lord. Well, several months go by. I'd forgotten about it. And I get a card in the mail. And I'll never forget this guy's. He said, Lol, hey, sorry. I sure am glad that we can trust in the sovereignty of God. Signed his name. Inside, check for $100 or something. What was he saying? Now, was he excusing that he messed up? I don't know about that. But it's a picture of the, the trust of God. Do you trust the Lord for what he's given you? Like, like a child does with their father? Like a child does with their mother? Do you trust him? It's the first secret to contentment. You've got to trust what the Lord is doing in your life. Let me read for you Psalm 46. Okay, just a little bit of it. Let me read to you just a couple of verses from Psalm 46. I, I read this in my quiet time this week, and I just, it just really struck my heart with, with contentment. Let me read it to you. It says, God is our refuge and God is our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. Listen now. Listen, listen and be content. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts. This means the Almighty Sovereign God is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Trust the sovereignty of God in your life. Not the so- Don't question the sovereignty of God as you look at other lives. Trust the sovereignty of God in your own life. We have to move on, although this one is very, very important. The next will be a little bit faster. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. The second sort of secret that Paul here is showing us of contentment is to focus upon the blessings of God. 
Focus upon the blessings of God. He says, I have learned to be content. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be, in, to be content. You see, this is a learned thing. You'll get better at being content as God's Spirit matures you. But see, if we, don't, if we don't allow our hearts to rise above the world, we'll never be content. He says here, he speaks of need. He speaks of need. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. It's funny what we call needs today. Think about it. I need a third car. I need a second car. I need a new set of golf clubs. I need a bigger TV. I need 155 channels. I need a super hi-fi Wi-Fi connection. I need a new iPhone 7. I need We have just taken I we've just taken this concept of need and totally defined it the way we want to. Paul says, "Listen, I know what needs are, but I'm content." I've learned the secret of being content, and the secret is looking at the blessings of God, focusing upon them. Because here's what happens. Let's just walk through how needs become idolatry. I'm sorry, wants become idolatry. Listen, this, this discontent is connected to idolatry. Hear it. Okay, if I'm ultimate, if I am ultimate, well then what I want is is priority. If I'm ultimate, then what I want is priority. And since I'm ultimate, what I want, the priority of the things that I want, well, that must rule. And so now what I do is I take these things that I want, because after all, I'm ultimate, and I raise them from wants to needs. And now I'm driven by the idol of myself rather than the one true God and the blessings He's brought in my life. Look at the next verse. He he develops it a little further. He's telling us to realize the nature of things and of God. He says, look at all the ways that He expresses these, these material needs. He says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. What Paul is showing us is this, that our contentment and our settledness in the sovereignty of God is completely separate from what I have. Honestly, find a rich man, and he's discontent. Find a rich couple, a rich woman, find these people and they're filled with discontentment. They're filled with it. Often. Often. And Paul is saying, it is completely separate. It is completely separate from what I have. I can have a lot, I can have a little and I can still have contentment. Trying to get to the secret. And the secret is coming. We've already seen glimpses of it. Go all the way back to verse number 10. We've seen secrets of it. That, that, is, that is, we've seen glimpses of the secret, and that is the sovereignty of God. But then we get to verse number 13. Now, this is a pretty famous... If you want to see this verse you know, portrayed all over the place, just go to any sporting event, right? 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can get it on your shoe now. You can get it on your face. You can get it on your, on your T-shirt, posters, car bumper stickers, all that. And if you have that, that's fine. That's fine. You got a tattooed across your chest, more power to you. That's fine. But what does it mean? What does it mean? We have to read this in context. Because here's the real secret to contentment. Here's what it is. Verse number 13. I can do all things. What are these all things? These all things are no matter what God may bring my way. In the sovereign plan of God, whether I have a beautiful home or a shack, whether I'm walking or riding in a Lexus, whether I have a wonderful spouse or none, whether I got good kids or bad, okay? No matter what, where you want to go, all right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is this? What is he saying? He said we must rely upon the strength of Christ. See, here's the deal. This is so important. Verse 13 is telling us, That contentment is a supernatural work of God that the Lord does in the lives of His children. You will find contentment in no other place than God miraculously working in your heart, in your spirit. As you recognize the sovereignty of God, as you focus on the blessings He's brought in your life, as you keep things in God in the proper perspective, the Lord will do a work. And through Christ, He will give you contentment. This is what Paul was calling us to. He's calling us to dependent upon Christ in a real way. Not in one guy on one team, on one TV channel, making a basket from far out the three-point range. That is not what Philippians 4.13 means. That's not what it means. As much as he may shoot that thing up and go in the hoop and we're like, oh, wow, your contentment is, is bigger. Our contentment is greater. Our contentment is a better advertisement for the glory of Christ. God has done a work in you if you're in Him today. He has saved you. He has drawn you out of what is called a pit in Psalm 46. Taken you from a pit and given you new life in Him. Find contentment there. Find it there. Contentment is not, it's not when I finally have enough then I'll be content. No. It's when I finally allow Christ to have me and all that I have, and I recognize in His sovereignty that He has blessed me with what I have, and I I keep those things in the proper perspective. It is there that we find contentment. Now I'll say this. It's kind of getting into next week, but I do, want to, I do want to mention this. This involves a battle. I don't want you to think that tomorrow you're going to wake up and magically, miraculously, you're, not going to, you're just going to be content and you won't have an explanation for it. 
This thing demands. Paul's in a prison to find this contentment. Okay? That's where he's at. This, this spiritual blessing of contentment in our life requires an obedient following of Christ. It does. And there'll be a sacrifice. But you will rest. You will rest in the peace, in the joy, in the thanksgiving, the lack of anxiety. Everything we've been talking about over the last two months is found here in Christ. Let's talk to him. Lord in heaven, I I thank you for your blessing. Lord, I pray that we would be aware today of your plan. Lord, there's not one person here who you're not meeting their need, available to meet their need. Our greatest need is for you, your forgiveness, relationship with you. You offer that to us today through your Son. Thank you for that. I want to pray, Lord, for those that that battle hard against this issue of contentment and discontentment and love of money and all the trappings and things that it offers. God, give us victory. Make us people who are so settled in you, so satisfied in you. See your blessing in our life. See your fatherly care, your sovereign plan in such a way that we trust you completely. And we will experience the blessing of contentment. We'll experience that that peace that comes in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.